Okay, this morning I just uh, I had some thoughts. I was thinking, you know, when we consider the scriptures, when we when we look at them, I mean, even from the time, even from the time that God had had created uh, Adam and Eve, the thing that he did is he he had everything prepared. He prepared everything for Adam and Eve, put them in, in a beautiful garden, and. You know, they're, they're one test because God never tempts because he obviously knew that Satan would come in the guise of the serpent and at that particular time, the most beautiful uh, animal uh, creation of God. And uh, anyway, he came and used that to, he came and in the midst, and, and we know that to God in, in James 1 and verse 13, he never tempts us with evil. And we need to really understand, he would really have us to understand that this morning. God never tempts us with evil. God never tempts us ever outside of who he is in his will and in his manifested word. And so when I have thoughts that aren't of God and when I, when I don't have them, and, and of course us, those of us that are in Christ, God never thinks evil towards us ever especially because we're in his son. And he does not see us any different than his son who, who has taken care, who has, not, uh, uh, who has propitiated the father himself, but who has also uh, taken care of and dealt with us in, in a very incredible and beautiful way. And so when he came into the, when Satan came into the garden and began to tempt Adam and Eve, he was tempting him. And then we know that God never tempts. He only tests those that are his in Christ. How did he do that? So when we look at Genesis 3, 1 through 6, when we look at it, when he tempted Eve, what was he doing? What was he doing there? What was the source of the temptation? Because we know that they had this interaction with Christ. We know that. We know it based upon Genesis 3 and verse 8. Now that is, is, is coming in after the fall. But when we look at that verse in Genesis 3, 8, it's, it's brought out that before the fall, that the pre-incarnate Christ would come. Remember it says when they heard the voice of God. So we know that the voice of God, the language of God, the thoughts of God are Christ. There's no evil involved in them whatsoever. But when he came, when, when Satan came, again, in the guise of this beautiful creation, this animal, this beautiful creation of, of, of uh, Christ who created everything in John 1, 3 and in Colossians 1 and verse 16, he came and this is what he did. How did he tempt her? And we know again, God never tempts us Ever. He only speaks to us, those that are his, through the one voice that Christ is. That's John chapter 10, verse 3. He only speaks through his shepherd. That one shepherd in Ecclesiastes 12, 11 is Christ himself. That is how he implements and brings to us his voice, his thoughts, which have the perfection of his accomplished will. But when he came to Eve, what was the source of the temptation? I want to tell you, this is what it was. 
It was called unbelief. That's what it was. So when he did that, when he came to, to, to tempt her, because even, listen, even in the temptation for her to not believe what Christ had spoken, to not believe his word, to not believe his very thoughts that could never change. Remember, in Malachi 3.6, it says, I'm the Lord thy God, I change not. Remember in Numbers 23 and verse 19 that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of Man that he would ever change his mind, ever. He never changes his mind about who we are in Christ. And so he's the very voice, the one shepherd in John 10, 3. The one, that one voice in John 10 and verse 14. That one voice in John 10 and verse 27. Not the harling's voice, no, not the wolf. The wolf, the cat that causes the sheep to be scattered in unbelief. And here's the thing, the thoughts that I had this morning as I was in the Word, and God had me in the Word about something completely different than what is being and what He's sharing with us this morning. But it just came as a flash how the enemy tempts us to not believe what God has spoken to us. And when He can do that, when He can cause us to live experientially as a disbeliever or an unbeliever, it causes fear. That's the thoughts that God brought to me this morning. So <clears throat> that's what the enemy was doing against Eve because remember, Jesus was the voice of God and it's brought out that each morning, just, just as when it was dawn, just when it was dawn, after their day of Adam's day with Eve as a helpmate, as he would just fix the garden, just prepare it in a very easy and beautiful way and then there was a mist that came up and watered it. And all he had to do was keep it with his wife by his side. And then to, as, the, as the day would go and the sun would just begin to go down, it's not completely down, and it was the cool of the garden, that's when Christ would come and present the word to them, the very thoughts of God towards them. And then that's when the enemy came to test them. And so that's what the enemy does. You see, God never tempts. He tests our faith. He tests our dependence. He tests, what option do I have today? It's either to believe God, to trust in him with all my heart, in Proverbs 3, 5, to always have faith in God, in Mark 11 and verse 22, to have faith in him, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Heart there is lab in the Hebrew. It's L-E-B and it's your mind. Where our mind is to be filled up with nothing but the thoughts of God that are expressed towards us through Jesus Christ, and that is even by a tremendous power, power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God has given us power. There's tremendous power in the Word. That's why the enemy doesn't want us to appropriate it, to trust it, to believe in it, to receive it, and to function in that love. <clears throat> Remember in, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. We need to remember that. We cannot understand that enough. <clears throat> God has not given us a spirit of fear. What is fear? It's a spirit that comes against believers. To disbelieve, to not believe God, not to trust him emphatically for everything, no matter what. 
You know, there's a lot of times in my life and each of our lives where God in each circumstance and situation has to get us to the place where we live in self-helplessness and self-hope, you see. Because here's the enemy. He, he, will, he will give us things that aren't truly of God, but ultimately they will fail, and he knows that, you see. What will he do? He will come in and tempt us, and then say, and tempt us with, with unbelieving, disbelieving thoughts against his Christ, against God's Christ, against his word, even against who he is in us and who we are in him. And then get us to believe it and then condemn us and say, and tell us those are your thoughts. You know, in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, it says this, the weapons of our warfare, and listen, we are in one. We are in a warfare. It's brought out in Ephesians 6, 12 to 19. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't. You see, the enemy wants us to think that these are our thoughts and we have to wrestle against them and get involved and struggle. You see, again, remember, when he comes in in our experience, remember, he can never touch our position. Listen, here's the beauty of this. How does God see us? He sees us in Christ. Job 36, verse 7 says, he never removes his eye from the righteous. Listen, he never removes his eye from who he's made us to be in Christ. He never does. That's our position. So the whole time in my experience with the enemies causing me to live in unbelief, to cast up all the mud and mire, remember, and we taught, uh, the Holy Spirit gave us this teaching, all of us as we gathered together to hear it. He said, and, I, and, and he brought out Isaiah 57 and verse 19 to 21. Isaiah 57 verse 19 says this, peace, peace. He speaks peace, peace. Listen to this. He speaks peace. Is there any fear in peace? No. There's nothing to win. We've already been won over. We're more than conquerors, Romans 8, 37. And so he says, peace, peace to them that are near. Who's that? That's us. And to them that are far off. Can I get far off from him in my experience? Yes. How? to unbelief, but he still speaks peace to us because he is, Christ is in Ephesians 2 and verse 14, he is our peace. He just wants us to experience God as our father, the God of peace. <clears throat> so he tempted Eve through lies, through these projections, many times in Texas, uh, in, in I, I want to say probably I don't know, 14, 15 years ago, and up until even the present, uh, that we know that way back before uh, God had created anything, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and this in beautiful in a fellowship and embrace of an exchange of a love life between the Trinity that nothing could disturb or distract. Then God created the angels. Then after that, we know there was a fall in Isaiah 14, 12 uh, to 17. There was a fall in Ezekiel 28, verse 15. There was, an, there was a fall where Satan, in Revelations 12 and verse 4, it's, it's pictured as the dragon, his, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. And that was the angelic realm. He caused this. 
his fall. And then he created man. Listen, he created man to show how he would deal with the angelic conflict and how he would deal with man. Not the first Adam, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ. You see, there was nothing that could disturb them. Not one single thing, you see. And when you and I function in and trust him and trust in his love, when we build up ourselves in Jude 20 and 21 on our most holy faith, keeping ourselves in the love of God, it just keeps out all these projections. Now, I want to go back to what we said that in John 1 and verse 1 and verse 2, there's the Trinity, the Father and the Son, and we know through that that the Holy Spirit proceeded from both. So they were inseparable. Nothing could separate them. They were inseparable. And the expression of who they were is God, and we know that God is love, the fullness of it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what we see here that God wants us to understand this morning and and to bring out here is that when he created Adam, obviously, we're we're back to what we were saying earlier this morning, that he created Adam in, 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 in an untried, innocent state. It was untried. In other words, he hadn't been tested. He hadn't been tested. And then the first time that he was tested, Eve, when she was tested, was deceived. Adam, when he was tested, when he was tested, he transgressed. He knew better. And he'd do it. He, he did it anyway and gave in to these thoughts. Now, again, remember, in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power. You see, the enemy doesn't want us to trust the power of God's love. He doesn't want us to do that. And so he comes in, and remember, this is how he does it. Remember, long before there was an angelic conflict and fall, long before Adam had ever failed and all humanity as a result coming under Adam, the first Adam, as their federal head, Long before that, there was only one will. That was the will of God. There was only one will. So there was only one one force, one will, one force, and one functioning power. And then then when Satan, who was created as Lucifer, light reflector, Light reflector. He was perfect. He was complete in all his ways of obedience and submitting to the word that Christ was and is in his pre-incarnate state and was until iniquity was found in him. And what is iniquity? It's a fallen will not being submitted to God. And iniquity is to make a provision for me to reign by myself without God according to my own will. And sin, very, very simply in its basic Uh, understanding is just my will not yours and that was brought out Jesus in his great temptation in the garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 39 and 42 when he was tempted brutally he said 
can, can, can this pass? But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you see, God's will is done. His will is done. His love is, has completed everything about us in 1 John 4 and verse 18. There's no fear in love. There's no fear. And when I trust him, not by sight, not by what I see, not the projections of the enemy. Now we go back to 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of a stronghold. What's a stronghold? The enemy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 25 and 26 has captured my will experientially and held, held me stronger. See, because apart from my will being submitted to Christ, there is, Satan is always stronger through these, through these lies and through these projections. And Satan always projects unbelieving lies and imaginations, false reasonings against complete trust in God's word. Complete and utter trust in him. We walk by faith in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Not by sight, not by these feelings, these emotions that come as a result of the initiation of lies and disbelief to cause us to live in fear. Because when I don't believe God, when I don't believe the love that he is towards me, then I just live in some form of fear. And we know that fear has what? In 1 John 4, 18, it has torment. That's the Greek word kolasis, K-O-L-A-S-I-S. It has torment. And the enemy gets us unawares. That's why we need to constantly submit and be dependent. But when we're not and when we forget God, because at times we're just weak, the enemy comes in and gives us the, and, and projects these, these unbelieving, lying, reasoning thoughts then we think that we're, and he's so subtle in Genesis 3.1 and 2 Corinthians 11.3. See, the enemy's so subtle, now he leaves it for us to believe that there are thoughts. You see, there are thoughts. And when we submit to them, that's what the enemy can do. He can cause us to believe that there are thoughts. And our way of thinking outside of his loving thoughts towards us, it keeps us in a very depressed state. It keeps us in a very depressed state. You know, that's what Psalm 40, verse 2, the psalmist cried out, deliver me, deliver me from this pit. The pit of noise is what the Hebrew calls it. The noise of all these torturing, false reasonings that come against us. They come against how God sees us in Christ and we're to trust him fervently. And he is, he is working in us a tremendous power, power in our experience. Remember, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a very well-disciplined mind, meaning I know how to think in the midst of temptation. I know that in Isaiah 59 and verse 19, not if, but when the enemy comes in like a flood, what does that mean? He floods our mind with all these 
evil thoughts and he projects them towards us. And that's what 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, casting down these faults, these imaginations, and imaginations in that particular portion, it speaks of all these unbelieving evil reasonings, all these things that come in, casting down imaginations, instantly cast them down and trust God, and not looking at things by sight, not at all, not looking back, not looking ahead, but trusting him presently. Because when I trust him presently, right now, in the midst of the temptation, that becomes the opportunity for, for me to become a light in the, in the, because God's testing me, depend on me, and I'll light you up. And then it keeps me from thinking back, from looking back, back, way back. It keeps me presently safe and keeps me from looking into the future. You see? And this is what the enemy tries to do. You know, the thief in John 10, 10a, he comes with his lying, reasoning thoughts that, and, and to come against us. The thief comes to steal, steal us away from God's intimate, loving thoughts about who we are in Christ and the tremendous plans that he has for us. No question about that. He comes in to steal, to kill my capacity to have intimacy with Christ and to destroy me. And we know in Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word. And you know, he's constantly doing that towards us. The one voice of the shepherd that proceed from one shepherd in Ecclesiastes 12, 11. Listen, we have one shepherd and that we have one voice and the sheep hear his voice in John 10, 3 and they don't submit to the voice of a stranger that somehow God is against us, that God is causing it. Who was the source of all of Job's trials? Was it God? No. No. It was Satan. It was, it was the enemy. And God used that to bring Job to a place and it seemed like, did he take away everything from Job? All his material things, his possessions, his family, and then he even took his health away. And why did God allow that to happen? Why did God allow that to happen? Why did he, why did he initiate the enemy to do that? To bring Job to a place where God would ultimately bless him more than he could ever even think. When his eyes could finally see, see Christ, see uh, the word, see Christ, see God's will established through Christ and in his word and in the power of his love. And he could see that. And, and he came to see that in Job 42 and verse 5. Isaiah saw that when he was moaning the loss of Isaiah. Can you imagine having a king, a godly king ruling over you, you and you loved that man and you submitted to him and you had this, this beautiful life for 52 years. That's how long Isaiah reigned. When we read Isaiah 6.1, it, it said, in the year that King Isaiah died, and what died with him? What he thought, he thought was dying the whole plan of God when Isaiah died. But then, then, what did God reveal? 
God opened up heaven and a vision for him. And he saw the Lord. And the Lord, when it says the Lord there, that's the pre-incarnate Christ. Just in a specific manifestation that even the seraphims, when they were looking at him, did not see God in all his fullness, but they saw enough to cause abstract humility where it's even brought out there, they were singing in like a four-part harmony, holy, holy, holy is he. And when Isaiah saw that, truly that Christ was lifted up above everything in his particular life and, and even in Israel and all the evil that was going on, that he was still in control. And that's when the angels, the seraphims came and took the coals from off the altar in a type of the sacrificial life of Christ and it touched his lips. And he no longer, at that particular point, was living in unbelief. Living in the fact that everything that he thought was over because King Isaiah died, but there was a king way above him. There was a ruler and a master way, way above him in all his circumstances. And that was the picture in Isaiah. And that's what God wants to bring out to us with the preponderance of all these scriptures. The bottom line, the truth is, listen, he is in control of our lives. There's absolutely no question about it. We are the dot. The moment we receive Christ, he encircled us. And we brought out the other day, that's a full, it's like a ball, a full circle. Nothing can penetrate that that will not be for God's glory and our blessing. And he may allow the enemy to tempt. He, God himself, is not the source of temptation. God never violates the freedom of us operating in that gift of free volition. He never violates that. The enemy does it all day long. He doesn't ask us, hey, would you mind if I caused you to live in disbelief, in unbelief, and to, and to torture you with these thoughts. He never does that. You know, in Luke 10, in verse 18, Jesus said, I saw, he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Listen, that's how quick he comes in with these thoughts and these lying projections. That's how quick he comes in. This thief that comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. That's how quick he does and to get us to believe that somehow that God is against us. When we know this, but we forget it, but we're growing, and it doesn't change his love, and the whole time we may live, be, be living in the evil effects of the enemy, his, the power of his love through grace is still there waiting for us just to receive it instantly. I experienced that recently. And that's our proper experience, to function in the love that God has made us to be in Christ. And we are children of light. Light, the purity. What is light? That that came out of the active energy of God, which is love. God's active energy is love. He's always loving us. Do we always experience it? Can I, if I don't submit my will and trust him? by pure faith, like a little child. You have a child. Won't, wouldn't you want your child to trust you for everything? 
wouldn't you? And that's really simple. Listen, honestly, that's what the Holy Spirit was speaking through the Apostle Paul when he was speaking to the Corinthians believers. He said, I fear lest by any means the way that the enemy caused Eve to live in disbelief to remove her from simplicity. You know, really, it's, the simplicity is because Christ has accomplished everything about us. It's very easy for us to trust him. It is extremely hard and torturous not to. Not to. God loves us. He has plans for us in Jeremiah 29, 11, that not a thing can change. Not one single thing. I don't know. Do, do, do we think that, and as we close this morning, do we think when we look at the book of Job, when we look at it and realize that is the precious word of God, by the way, that's not some fancy story made up like some other so-called godly men will teach that it is when it's not. The scriptures are full. They're plenary. They're verbal. They're complete. Do we think that when God initiated to use Satan to bring Job to a place where finally he could bless him double to get his mind off of himself and to get it on Christ, which ultimately happened in Job 42, so God could doubly bless him. Don't we think that even before he allowed the enemy to do that, that was God's whole plan to bless him? Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. God's full thought is Christ, by the way. If, God, if we believe that God would ever think a bad thought about us, we would have to think that he thought a bad thought about his son sitting next to him on the throne. In Psalm 110, verse 1, and scores of other scriptures, he's seated at the right hand. Do we think that that was the whole, that he allowed the enemy who thought evil things to do evil against Job. God allowed it to reduce Job down to a place where he could just bless him. God says this as we close this morning, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Listen to what they are. They're thoughts of peace and not evil so that I can reveal to you my unchanging, immutable, plans of my love for you that nothing can interfere with. Nothing. Nothing. God has plans for us that all the gates of hell can't change. You remember what he said to Peter in Matthew 6, 16 and verse 18? He's saying to us this morning, Peter, you made a confession, but you got that confession from my father who does not lie. And I'm the source of the truth. And I am the foundation. And upon this foundation, Peter, you're a little stone. But I'm going to build you upon myself, the foundation, that massive stone, that massive ledge. And all the gates of hell, all the martial powers of Satan and all, cannot do a thing against it. And God wants to reveal that truth to us. This morning, there's tremendous power. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Christ is our power. We are kept in 1 Peter 1.5 through the submission of our will. We are kept by the power of God. 
The power of God in 1 Peter 1 verse 5 is the power that Christ is in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. Christ, listen to this, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What does that mean? Where does wisdom flow from? From the very love of God. And God could not love us any more than to give us his precious son. And you know, he still does that through his word, through his word. Weapons of our warfare in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of these, of these strongholds, casting down these imaginations, these false reasonings, and every high thing, satanic warfare, hoopsama, Every high thing, listen, that it tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God's love through Christ being in us, in him, in us. And then we have an readiness to revenge all, our diso- all these disobedient thoughts and allowing us once again, our wills to be captured by love so that the enemy can no longer use my unsubmitted will experientially through having faith dependence in the word in Hebrews 11, 1. And without that faith in Hebrews eleven six, it's impossible for us to experience the pleasure of who Christ has made us to be in the son of his love. But we see there, we cast it down, these, these imaginations, and these false reasonings and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God's love for us. See, every time I get into his presence, I have joy. Why? Because I'm in him who loves me. In his very presence in Psalm 1611. And so as we close again for the final time this morning, we revenge all those disobedient thoughts when our obedience is fulfilled and Christ is the measure and fulfillment of all our obedience and we can submit to it and who he's made us to be. And then we realize in Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, all those many lying voices of the atmosphere in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12, when the enemy comes in like a flood, then the spirit of the Lord, the very source of our power, to implement the power of Christ. You see, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to implement in us the experiential, the experiential power of Christ so that we're kept. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him, and that standard is Jesus Christ in me. And I trust and, and, and lay In my weakest moments, I fall back. And that's what faith means. Faith doesn't mean that I have to feel everything right. Faith is not a feeling. It has to do with the submission of a will. And in my weakest moments, I can fall on my foundation, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And then the the enemy can no longer, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25, no longer through my unsubmitted will, Cause me to oppose myself by these unbelieving, lying thoughts. But once again, capture experientially my will to be captured by his love and no longer my will captured 
by the lying, unbelieving, evil thoughts of Satan. Father, we thank you so much for your precious love for us and for your beautiful counsel. Thank you, Father, that you are for us. And no matter what comes against us, does it even matter in Romans 8.31, God for us, does it even matter who's against us? This I know, and this is what he's teaching us. When my enemy comes against me with these lying thoughts, in Psalm 56 and verse 9, when my enemy comes against me, then I will cry out. And he hears our cry instantly. But this I know once again. I know in, in his experiential love, oh yes, that really and truly God is for me. He even bottles my tears in Psalm 56 and verse 8. He bottles every little prayer, a little prayer. In Revelations 5, 8, he saves all our prayers. They go up to him, trusting prayers, even when I'm weak and frail. And they go up like a sweet-smelling savor because Christ is mixed with those prayers because he's interceding for us in Romans 8 and verse 34. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's ever living. A life-giving force and power is interceding for us in Hebrews 7, 25. And he appears in the presence of God right now for us when the enemy comes against us with the projections and lies. He appears in the presence of God, listen, for us in Hebrews 9 and verse 24. You see, God is for us. He brings us to the end of those lies, frees us in the truth in Galatians 5, 1, for freedom's sake, Christ has set you free. Free to be loved, so just be free and trust him. Father, we thank you for your loving, loving counsel. In Jesus' name, amen.